Did Don Draper really buy the world a Coke? Did Tony Soprano really die or just order more onion rings? Were those guys really in hell the whole time or was that just the audience? The finales of our favorite shows can make us argue, make us cry, and make us crazy. From Spotify and The Ringer, I'm Andy Greenwald, and this is Stick the Landing, a new podcast where we'll be telling the story of modern TV backwards, one fade out at a time. Each episode, a guest and I will choose a celebrated series from history, from the 70s to the streaming era and beyond, and do a deep dive on its very last episode. Was it all a dream? Did it turn into a nightmare? And most importantly, what can we learn about tomorrow's new shows from the way yesterday's ended? TV is a journey. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast about the destination. Starting January 17th, find Stick the Landing on Wednesdays on the Prestige TV feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Heineken Silver. People could be hard to please. You take beer to a party and they're all, it's too watered down, it's too boring, or ugh, I drank that back in college. Thankfully, there's new Heineken Silver, a world-class light beer with only 2.9 carbs and 95 calories and a crisp and refreshing taste to satisfy even your pickiest friend. Finally, try Heineken Silver today, the world-class light beer with all the taste, no bitter endings. Available at your local Heineken retailer or for delivery at heineken.com slash silver. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Welcome back to another episode of the Death Taxes and Bananas podcast. The Traders US Season 2 has kicked off in a spectacular way. Probably the most talked about show uh, that I've been a part of in recent memory, if not ever. And I'd like to say that is in large part as, as a result of the incendiary truth bombs that I've been dropping on social media <laughs> lately uh, that have really riled up. The Big Brother fan base. Jeez, they're easily pressed. But I digress. Uh, but deservedly so, honestly, the show, the amount of attention it's getting because they've literally assembled the Avengers of the entertainment industry, reality TV, and put them in a castle to murder each other. All right? <laughs> now, unfortunately, I was the first victim, which is eerily reminiscent of my first ever season on the challenge, The Duel. Not as much as I was sent in and sent home, but because the person responsible for me being sent home didn't do it out of logic or strategery, but out of panic and sheer terror. <laughs> Way back then it was Tyler. This time around it's Dan. So I just want to warn my listeners that if they're Dan stands, this is going to be a 
tough listen because uh, me and my next guest are going to be dropping some atomic truth bombs. So <laughs> without further ado, my next guest knows a thing or two about dropping bombs. His dad dropped them on opponents in the NBA, and he now himself has dropped a few as of late in the press as a result of his highly publicized <laughs> relationship with yet another Traders cast member, Larsa. So here to break down the first three episodes and to help me drop some truth bombs, discuss the winning strategy, a man with winning in his DNA, my fellow murder victim, Marcus Jordan. Welcome, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, brother. Man, thanks for coming on. Um, Definitely. Well, look at us. Just a couple of dead guys just I chatting know, it up. Man. I know. It's funny. I got my mom and uh, a lot of my family <laughs> watching the show. And so when my grave popped up on episode three, I think it was, she was like, man, this is kind of eerie, you know? Dude. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I. Uh, it, it's funny because even though, yeah, it is a, it is like obviously reality. No one's actually dying. They make it like so ominous and they make it feel as I think authentic across the screen as it did when we were there in person. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like, you know, just from their perspective, they definitely took things up a notch. I think even just when we all got to the castle, we realized what the, who, the, who was on the cast. Like we knew they weren't coming to play any games and uh, it's definitely showed in, in the first three episodes. So you watched season one, obviously. Yes. Did you watch before you went? Yeah, I watched it just because, you know, when they reached out to Larsa and I, we wanted to know what we were kidding ourselves into. And, you know, after watching season one, I realized, you know, a lot of, you know, what they show on screen was uh, around like the actual game and not delving into too much of people's personal business and shit. And so that's kind of what attracted me to to going out there. Why? You got some some personal shit you don't want you don't want to put out there or nah, you know but you, you put yourself in a situation <laughs> like that and you open yourself up to any and everything and so you know i like that it was kind of centered around the game who are you telling bro i've been doing it for 18 years there ain't anything yes, out there now that is uh that is private about me so how then did it all come about how were you and um larsa contacted and again was this like a internal discussion the two of you had like should we do this together would it be better doing it solo like how did that all come to yeah, fruition well, it's funny i received an email from um i think one of the showrunners and you know i wasn't too familiar with it they were interested in having me on uh on the show and so i showed it to larsa and larsa was like oh i know exactly who that is so we gave her a call uh and we kind of learned more about you know the game and all of the you know everything that goes into it and the person that we called basically was like, look, Larsa, if you're interested as well, we could try to package this thing together as you both go. Um, wow. And once that was an option, we were like, fuck yeah, let's do this, you know? Mm -hmm. Free vacay? Yeah, you know? We, could potentially, you know was, we could potentially murder each other and not get in trouble for it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, it was a kind of a no-brainer. Once we knew that both of us were able to go, we said, you know, let's do it. Let's head out to Scotland. So you obviously become a mainstay on the Housewives franchise. Is this your first uh, time you've like delved into reality TV? Obviously, yeah. Trainers. So you know, I uh, I got dragged. I'll, I'll say into you know Real Housewives of Miami <laughs> by dating Larsa, and so it's been it's definitely been my first foray into to reality TV. It's easy on Housewives just because look, all the ladies on the show they do all the heavy lifting, and so I'm a fly on the wall. All I got to do is back up Larsa and, and support her, and so. That's what I do. But 
obviously with the trainers, I wanted to come in and kind of flex my own muscle and, uh, you know, show my own strategy in, in game play. And so, you know, obviously we see how that turned out. What a guy letting all the ladies do the heavy lifting. <laughs> you know, on that franchise, it's, uh, it's, that's the only thing to do. You know, if yep. you get involved in the women's business, you'll, uh, you'll get your ass handed to you. So did you know, obviously, any of the other housewives who were going? Was there like any sort of like, and obviously we could talk about it now, bro. This is like, you know, the nest. No one's ever going to hear us. Um, no, but did you guys, did, <laughs> did like Larsa or you, did you guys have any sort of kind of conversations, pre-existing alliances with any of the other, of the other housewives who were going? Or like what was uh, Larsa's relationship with the other housewives who were there? Yeah, so... Uh, uh- Prior to getting there, you know, we had heard uh, just through the grapevine that MJ would possibly be there from Shaws of Sunset. And I can't remember who else. Um, maybe Tamara. You know, Larsa has all you know her ear to the street in that community. And so she was getting she was hearing rumblings about who might be there. We didn't really discuss. Obviously, we had like an alliance going in. And so I told her, you know, if you're a trader, blink four times, or, you know, give me some sort of sign so that, you know, I'll know. Um, and, you know, I feel like if you're a trader, her, grab you know, my if, if you're not a trader, grab my crotch <laughs> once. If you are, grab it exactly. 180 times. Exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, with her, I feel like the Housewives platform, they're a tight knit community uh, all the way around anyway. And so. I knew once she got into the castle, whoever was there, she was going to, you know, going to have friendships with and alliances with. Uh, so it was funny to see how, you know, Phaedra, you kind of kind of stabbed me in the back. But, then, you know, we'll get in, we'll get into that later. Dude, or was it Phaedra? Because it seems right, like too. she might not have been exactly been been steering the ship early on. That's true. That is true. So uh, funny that you mentioned MJ because it just so happens that you, myself, Larsa, MJ all ended up in an SUV together to kick the show off. Yep. And I got into the car and I'm like, uh, who am I sitting in this car with? And are, right. am, are they, are they going to just leave me on the side of the road within 10 minutes? Cause I'm going to get under their skin. <laughs> that didn't end up happening. We all ended up becoming super tight. I thought it was probably in my opinion, the most fun group in the, I think so in the castle. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, you know, I was definitely happy when they put us four in that van just because I felt like we were the most grounded. Um, yeah. And also the the people that, you know, like to have a good time. So we had some some fun conversations, you know, those first few days. So we, we make a stop somewhere along the way. Uh, I think someone had to pee. I don't know. You and I get out of um, the SUV. I didn't know you were at this point, right? So we get out of the, the SUV. We're bullshitting. And I remember you were wearing a pair of Jordans and you said somebody getting muddy or something like that. Right. And I was like, I ah, don't worry about it. And I, cause I have, my manager is like really big in like the shoe business. That's what he does. Like that's been his, his family does. And I'm like, Oh dude, if you need like, you know, a new pair of Jordans, dude, like my guy can hook you up. And you're like, <laughs> no, I'm good. My dad like, basically owns the fucking brand. And I'm like, what do you exactly. Mean? You know, my dad's Michael yeah. Jordan. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe you do have a better line on shoes than I do. Yeah. You know, luckily I know a guy. That's what I like to say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny cause I definitely knew who you were. You know, I grew up watching the challenge. I don't want to say I grew up, but you know, I've watched the challenge ever since it's first started. Right. You and can so, age uh, me. People do it all the time. So, like I've been watching <laughs> you since I was eight. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. And so I knew exactly who you were. Uh, and I knew that because you were involved, it was definitely going to be some heavy duty missions and uh, it was, it was going to be a serious ass game. So, 
you know, I was excited to play the game with you. And then obviously once we got out of the vans and saw CT, and, you know, Trishel, the rest of the crew, uh, I knew I was in for an exciting match. You were like, oh boy. So, so, yeah. so that's the thing. I feel like too, I feel like people that knew of us went in, in one of two camps. They were either like, let me try and like, I don't know, work with them, learn from them, uh, you know, have them help me in this game. Or it was, let me get rid of these people as soon as humanly possible. And by these people, I mean me. Yeah. You know, I, I can't, you know, I can't call it one way or the other. I definitely felt like though, after you were murdered, uh, I was very <laughs> suspicious of CT just because yeah. I felt like CT would be the type of dude that would want to stick it to you. Um, you know, we had a brief interaction where we kind of like side eyed each other and looked at each other after Alan kind of picked the traders. And so I felt like, you know, he was maybe tipping his hand a little bit, like, you know, maybe it was excited and was trying to, you know, keep it under wraps. But, uh, you know, shit happens, man. Shit happens. I think they, they took out the strong people first, for sure. What's funny, that, and it's funny that you say that, because I, in my head, was like, there's absolutely a 0% chance CT is going to turn on me in this game, only because, again, on the challenge, him and I have been going back and forth for, buddy, for forever, dude. Uh, I mean, you grew up, you grew up watching it, right? Uh, We've been going back and forth since forever. And like, it it hasn't, it wasn't only until recently that we really kind of like, I I don't want to say buried the hatchet, but like, you got to realize when the two of us are on the screen together, it's always like, are you going to, are you going to strike first or am I type thing? You know, but neither one of us wants to, because it's like almost like a war you don't want to start. So we kind of both just, just sit back and let everybody else, hopefully, I don't know, whittle the other one down. So coming on this, the way I saw it was like, yo, this is the first time him and I are going to be on a show where we not can work together, but almost have to work together because we're we're really all that we've got. And other people are going to target us based on our past. But I heard something very interesting on uh, episode three, I believe, or two when Max, yeah, when Max gets um, banished, right? Yeah, yeah. And he mentioned something about CT after I'm gone, basically saying that like he wanted to have me sent in and sent home. Now, obviously, CT denies it, and I believe him. But yeah, I thought it was a funny thing for him to bring up at that at that roundtable. Yeah, you know, look, I I kind of talked to CT while I was th- well, after your murder while I was there, and then afterwards once I got murdered and he was like no nah, man it's not me I wouldn't do my boy like that you know and so it is what it is I guess uh you know I'm wearing my murder with a badge of honor like we said me too man both of us I think we both you know why because I think you and I were murdered early enough in the game where we had such little data to go off of yeah that it's almost like it's not like we went in made it however long down the road and then got murdered based on the fact that like we didn't strategize well enough or we didn't get in with the right pe- you know what i mean like there wasn't yeah. any time well honestly and you know truth be told i was on to dan from the jump i just felt like you know he was being one of the, he was prying for information but not sharing any information you know what yes. i'm saying and so i just felt like he was being too sneaky keeping his in, keeping his thoughts too close to his chest or whatever and so from day, I, honestly, you know, because the first episode kind of we shot it over three days or whatever the hell it was. And so by day two or day three of the uh, of being out there and, and just interacting with him, I knew like this guy is suspicious. This guy's got to be a traitor. And so, you know, when I uh, confronted him in that snooker room or whatever, 
I maybe tipped my hand a little bit. I, I maybe should have, you know, should have played a little, a little slower. I should have took the Kevin approach. Honestly, you see Kevin's approach. He's playing like he's dumb as hell. Doesn't know anything about the challenge. Is that an approach, though? I feel like that's just who <laughs> Kevin is, dude. Like, and I love him for it, but like, he's that's just. I feel like that's just kind of how he is, and that's why he wasn't perceived in any way, shape, or form as a threat. So when when we were in the castle, he was suspicious of me because I was wearing my sunglasses, you know, and I had my sunglasses on. So he's thinking like, who's this guy thinking he's too cool for school, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then I was suspicious of him just because I felt like he was like this airhead guy who knew nothing about anything. Anything. And come and come to find out, you know, at least now in hindsight, he was saying that that was kind of part of his strategy. I guess uh, we'll never know whether or not uh, whether or not it's it's him well, or his game. Speaking player. speaking of not knowing who murdered you, because obviously, like when I left, I'm not. Everyone else is probably like in their confessional after going to be like, "Oh, I knew exactly who it was the whole time." I had no fucking clue, bro. I yeah, honestly, until you messaged me, I was surprised how early obviously you went out too. But I was bro. still in Scotland. Uh, and I'm like, who, who murdered me? Who were the traitors? And then you messaged me I'm like, oh shit, it can't be Marcus. But here's, here was my thought process. I'm like, all right, going in and we had this discussion in the SUV, you, me, uh, Larsa and MJ. And I was like, yo, how weird would it be? Or, or like, I don't know, kind of just strategic. Would it be if they made either you or Larsa a traitor? Because then you guys got like, keep this secret. You guys are already kind of obviously a target because you're going to be together. But then I was like, the best way to throw everyone off your scent would be Marcus to murder her right away or vice versa to throw everyone off the scent. Right. And I said that in the car initially before we knew who the traitor was, but then I also said it again after the first mission, you know, when they're like, Oh, you guys have to talk about who you think it is. And I remember sitting there being like, Oh, what if it's Larsa or Marcus? And they have to like murder the other one. And I was strictly saying it just for, just so they had a soundbite or for storyline. Then I get murdered and I'm like, Oh my God, what if it was Marcus or Larsa? Bro, and you know damn well I would have never murdered you that early, bro. I felt like we were, you know, we were we were the bros out there. Like we were kicking it. And you know, I feel like, you know, going into going into the game, Larsa and I both thought like one of us is gonna be a traitor, the other one's not, just for entertainment value, shock value, whatever, uh, for the show. And so I do feel like there was a part of me when I got murdered was like, damn, is it Larsa? You know what I'm saying? Because it very well, I didn't know either at that time, you know, who could have murdered me just because like she would have made it it straight to the end. If it was, she would have made it straight to the end because no one would have ever in a million years guessed it that early on. Yeah. The only way I ruled her out was because I knew like she wouldn't have murdered me so quickly. You know what I'm saying? I knew she would have wanted me to have the experience her as well. And so that was the one thing that I kind of ruled her out, but I couldn't be a hundred percent. Well, it was that, but it was also like, then she's not gonna be able to have sex five times a day. <laughs> that had well, to be part of it too. We weren't, we weren't staying together. You know, when we were, <laughs> once the game started, we, we had our separate rooms, you know? And so that was, uh, that was all part of the game was that, you know, we couldn't be together. We couldn't see each other. And so you remember, oh, well, you might not remember cause you got murdered so soon, but as it, the game progressed, they started switching up the SUVs and who were, who was in the SUVs, yep. Yep. you know, riding together. So once they took her out of my car, I knew something was, you know, suspicious. Like they started mixing us up. And so the day I got murdered, I rode in with Deontay. Literally there was a 2 PM call time. They didn't pick us. They didn't put us in the car until 4 PM. And so we're two hours behind everybody. And I'm like, yep. what the fuck is going on? Like, there's no way that. I'm getting murdered this early. And so we get there 
we get, uh, well, I guess we're at the castle and, you know, I see Cherie, I see Trichelle, I see, it was like three other people that they were still holding to wait before they could go into breakfast. And so I'm like, all right, cool. It's not just me and Deontay. Like I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And then lo and behold, they pulled me out, just me and, you know, give me that death warrant. And I was, I was honestly, I was pissed, bro. I was, I was ticked off. I was sick. Okay. And the only, only reason, imagine. the only reason it didn't really show on cameras, cause I had a second Cause I didn't watch season one. All right. This, and part of this was strategy for me. I'm like, all right, if I go into this show, I'm already going to have this dude elephant in the room situation. Everyone's like, Oh, the guy's been on the fucking challenge seven times or one, seven times, 22 seasons, been doing this forever. I can't try and lie about that. Cause then they're going to be like, dude, you're lying about your experience. So I'm like, I'm just not going to watch season one. I'm going to go in and just play my own game anyways. It's just about playing people and manipulating them and just fucking getting in on their good side or irritating them. I have I tend to have a tendency to do both. But I'm like, I'm going to go in. If I truly don't know anything about the show, then that could kind of be like, oh, well, he doesn't know anything about this show. He doesn't know how the game is played. So I didn't know about the whole you go in. That's how you find out you're murdered because there's an envelope sitting on the couch. But the same yeah. thing happened to me. The morning of my murder, they originally told me the night before, they're like, your call time 7 a.m. I'm like, all right, damn, that's early, whatever. So I'm ready. Seven fi- and they're on time, dude. Like, they are punctual yeah. as fuck. 7.15 rolls around. 7.30 rolls around. 7.45 rolls around. And I'm like, and this is the morning of the first murder. I'm like, oh, my God. What if they just, is this how you get murdered? They just don't pick you up? Eight. And then some. finally there's a knock on the door. Like, all right, we're ready for you. And I'm like, why are we an hour late? They were like, oh, we Literally. just have to shh shift some cars around. I was like, all right. And I get out and it was, I get out to the SUV and it's like, I think it's like MJ, me, Peppermint and maybe Kevin. And we're all riding over together. And dude, same thing. I just had a feeling, man. I'm like, guys, it's me. I was like, it's me. And we show up, they put us in the green room. They're like, all right, bananas, you got to go do a MIV or an interview or whatever. And I walk yeah. down, and I see the envelope and I'm like, come on, dude, bro. I know. And I literally, I needed, I needed a second too to kind of yes. you know, get my thoughts together. Cause I was, I was fucking furious. I'm not gonna lie. Well, so I lift up the envelope first towards the camera before I open it. And all I see is murder. I, I could see through the envelope and I read, it said murdered. And I'm like, no, I, part of me was hoping for a second that this was me being recruited. That's what I thought. That's literally <laughs> the same thing I thought. I'm like, yo, let me open this thing. And it's like, all right, the traders are recruiting you. They want to see your response. And then, Shit, I opened it and I'm murdered, bro. Second murder. It's crazy. Now, um, we sit down at this round table. I wish they would. Because here's the other thing. My Again, and my other strategy going in is like, and I know some people see this as obnoxious, okay? Because I do. I like to fucking, you know, wind people up and I like to. Bro, you make good TV. You know what I'm saying? It's entertainment. So that's the problem, though. Some people don't understand that's what I'm doing. It's what It's just like what I'm doing right now on social media where I'm just like, just fucking torturing Dan. It's like, guys, yeah, yeah, it's coming from a fun, but it's like, it's just to wind you guys up and create like engagement. Like shut the fuck up. Yeah, engagement, hundred percent, hundred percent. No, but when you stole that, that, uh, gold bar, bro, that was one of the funniest things that happened while I was in Scotland, man. That shit. And they didn't show me because then, then they didn't show us. This was the best part. I'm like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. As soon as Alan starts talking, because it was so ominous, bro. I'm not going to lie. Walking into that room, with the uh, Hunger Games hangman song playing and we're all just sitting there, dude, quiet. I'm like, yo, this shit just got real. My original plan, what I was going to do is touch whoever's sitting next to me. I was going to touch them on the shoulder just to totally fuck up the whole thing. 
But yeah, I took the bar out, dropped it on the uh, on the the table as soon as Alan started talking, and it just like completely shut the entire thing down. He was so pissed, bro. It was hilarious. I wish they kept a part of that in when he uh, when he kind of snapped at you, but uh, it was hilarious, bro. I was I was I was trying my hardest not to laugh. It was so funny. I just here's what I thought. I'm like, listen, everyone's gonna probably play this game the same way, which is to go in and do the Dan Kevin thing, where we're just not gonna talk and we're just gonna sit yeah, in the shadows. Or even like, and like Sandra, like watching the first three episodes, it's like she's quiet as a mouse. And I mean, cool, we could all do that, walk in and you know not be ourselves or not do anything. But like, we're there to play the game. We're there to have fun, and we're there to make good TV, you know. And literally, it just came back to bite me in the ass. So it is what it is. You and me both, brother. Did you want to be a trader? Fuck yeah. Absolutely. I wanted to be a trader just because number one, I feel like the traders have an advantage in the game. Duh. Uh, you know, you get to hide amongst 19 or however many other faithfuls, you know? And honestly, I felt like some of the people that were competing weren't too bright, you know? So it would have been easy to kind of manipulate and fool people, pin pit people against each other or whatever. So I definitely wanted to be a trader. I was, I was really let down when, when I wasn't selected to be a trader. Yeah, sure. you yeah, you and me both. I'm like, there's no way they don't make me a trader. Only because I've made it, I've I've literally hammered the point home every time they had an opportunity to. I'm like, listen, yeah. guys, I need to be a trader only because that's the only way I'm gonna survive for more than a fucking night in this house. If you don't, <laughs> they're gonna murder me. This happens to me every yeah. season I'm on of the challenge. So it's like, if you if you want me here, if you want me to stay for a little bit, you gotta make me a trader. All right. Which, bro, it, the, the morale definitely took a hit after you left. Because you remember, you brought your guitar. You had shit rocking and rolling in our downtime or whatever. And then literally, once you got murdered, it was just like you could feel a shift in the energy of the cats. You know what I'm saying? And it just wasn't as lighthearted anymore. It was like shit got serious. You know, shit got real. So, you know, you were definitely missed. Dan didn't like the guitar, dude. Yeah, Dan, man, Dan. Added to I the list wait. of things. Added to the list of things. I'm pretty sure that that was the straw that broke the camel's back was when we were sitting there before the first mission. I think he was already a little annoyed. Like I, I watch back and I'm watching all these, these clips and, and there's the one when we, the, the, the night we got there, when we get to the bar and there's no booze, like probably the worst prank ever played on us in the history Crazy. of reality TV. Like, oh, yeah, guys go run to the bar. We get there. Fake beer, fake Prosecco, Mocktails. everything. It's crazy. I mean, there. I I thought it was kind of funny that there's that the three uh, you know challenge degenerates, me, CT, and Trishel make a beeline for the bar, and everybody else goes <laughs> and like explores the rest of the place. But You're there's right. a scene where I was sitting down, and it was like every single girl, pretty much in in the house at the time. It was like Phaedra, Ekinsu, Janelle, Parvati. Like we were all crushed on this couch, dude. And then Dan comes over and kind of sits on the very edge and like his ass is like hanging off. And I remember I was just like sitting there just cracking jokes. Oh, it was when I called John. I was like, oh, I thought you were the host. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like yeah, I was yeah, just yeah, cracking yeah. jokes. And I could see the look in Dan's eye where it was like he was like smiling, but I could tell he like wanted to murder me with his eyes. Yeah. Nah, he's just a dry guy, man. And, you know, he was using that as his cover in terms of, oh, I'm just naturally quiet and it's not no. my personality. It's like, bro, like, you know what the fuck you're doing. You knew what you were I've doing. I've seen, we've seen you on TV. You faked your own death. You had a funeral for yourself. You like, you know. Well, that's the thing. I didn't know. I've never seen really big brother like that. So I didn't know who he was coming into the game. But, you know, I just picked up on his energy quick. Like he wasn't 
everybody else was excited, sharing their thoughts, you know what I'm saying, who, who they might think is a traitor. And he just was too reserved for my liking. I felt like he was just a sneaky guy and, and, and would have, I felt like they would have picked him to be a traitor because of the way his personality is. He's a quiet guy already. I just was on to his ass from the beginning. You, you didn't know who it was. So you're telling me, Marcus, right here, right now, on the Death Tax and Bananas po- podcast in front of in front of God and all of the listeners that you don't listen to the Twitch newscast he does out of his mother's basement? <laughs> I've never seen it. I never even knew about it existing until, until you just brought it up right now. <laughs> um, my favorite oh, part man. of the roundtable, though, well, other than me taking the piss out of Alan was, um, bro, immediately, immediately after we take our blindfolds off, Lars is like, well, I heard a sleeve move to my left and I have very strong hearing. So Barbara, yeah. you're the trainer. <laughs> you know, that was hilarious. You know, I feel like, you know, Larsa is, she knows how to, how to, how to take control of a moment, you know, for yes. sure. And just maybe call it her experience on TV. But I'm not going to lie, you know, I was doing everything in my power to try to get the edge, you know, in terms of listening, too, because, you know, I had CT on my left. I can't remember who was on my right, but CT was on my left and he was wearing this leather jacket, you know. And so I was like, when the blindfolds came off, I'm like looking at his shoulder to see if like maybe Alan's hand's sweaty and left a handprint or some shit. Like I was doing everything that I could to try to, you know, you know, get an upper hand. Um, But I guess, you know, I guess I was wrong. Some uh, some of Alan's foundation powder. Yeah. yeah, but he was he was like the utmost professional. He came in and now yeah. he knocked out his he knocked out his Bro. pieces and, and was out of there. Nightcrawler. Yeah, nah, he's a beast. Like I wish I would have like I, that's one thing I wish I would have mentioned is like like He's a legend, bro. Like if you oh, and yeah. I was a huge X-Men fan growing up, dude. He was X-Men too. He was Nightcrawler, dude. Like what a Oh yeah. What For a, sure. For what sure. Gangster, dude. Um I so I listen, looking back, I wish I would have had Lars's sense of hearing because <laughs> Phaedra got tapped and she was right next to me. Bro. So and I was trying to listen for the same thing, but and if you watch back, you see what he's doing is when he goes by every person, he like yeah, purposely he goes like this. Faking yeah. him out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like exactly. moves his arm. And then, so and then after you and Phaedra are kind of looking at each other too, you know. And so I thought, man, honestly, I never suspected her. I didn't think no, you know, I, I didn't suspect her at all of being a traitor. So I guess that was good on their part by uh, you know by why she's good at being a traitor though, is because she's not overplaying the role. Okay. Yeah. I feel like with with Dan, it's like he's overdoing it. It's like, yeah, bro, like you have all the power in the game right now. You have all the power. You have all the information. Yeah. Instead of being out there, he reminds me a lot, and this is of Wes Bergman. Okay, okay Wes yeah, yeah, yeah. on the challenge is always like this. When when Wes gets an iota of power, it's it's bad. He gets drunk with power, but also it's almost like, and this is why him and CT's games are different. CT obviously wants to make moves, wants to eliminate people, wants to create controversy, but he doesn't want to be the one when like, you know, the body's on the ground or the building's burning, holding the weapon or the can of gasoline. Wes does it because it's almost like he needs the attention from it. And I feel like that was Dan's thing. Dan needed like this, you know, attention. He needed to be like this, like, crazy mastermind that was gonna like you know overwork the game and say bro you did too much you're doing too much and i feel like he would if he wasn't if he wasn't selected to be a trader i definitely feel like his experience there would have been completely different like he wouldn't have been 
Like, I don't know. I just feel like he thrived off of being a trader. And if he was a faithful, he just would have been, you know, boring old Dan that he always is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that's what I'm saying. Here's the other thing. All right. With the traders, like, why not throw somebody in there that's going to, like, mix it up a little bit? You know yeah. what I mean? Why not, like, throw a little flavor in there? Like, someone who's going to... And not, listen, Phaedra gives amazing sound bites. She's a sound bite machine, dude. She like, really I'm sitting is. there like, wow. In interviews and shit, she's awesome. But, again... She kind of was playing the same game where it's very like, I'm just going to kind of sit back. I'm going to reserve reserved. And it's like, man, that in a way, like you said, might actually work against you because if somebody's kind of out there, you know, just being themselves going, you don't suspect them. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't know. I guess maybe he's playing it good from their perspective. But I, if I was a trader, I would have, you know, played it a lot differently than Dan for sure. Um. Do I give repo man vibes? I don't even know what that is, but I thought it was a funny, I thought it was a funny, I've been called a lot of things. I mean, yeah. recently I was called a uh, saber tooth hammer headed uh, bastard. I've never been called a repo man before. No, you know, that's, I, you know, Phaedra, I don't know where that she came out of the left field with that one. That was, uh, that one was pretty funny. And then I thought, you know, it was weird. She was throwing me under the bus to, I can't remember, I think it was to CT in terms of, uh, when she saw me and Larsa at the top of the, uh, of the yes. screen and then basically yeah. saying like, oh yeah, that's, you know, Michael Jordan's son and Scotty's ex-wife and both, you know, that was a little extra. And I also feel like Phaedra should have had my back in terms of, you know, murdering a black man, you know, is like one of the first three people murdered. She could have kind of, you know, helped me along there. But I do feel like, you know, look, me and Larsa coming into the game as a couple, we had a huge target on our back from day one, just because you know, people wanted to split us up in terms of not having their best friend or significant other there anyway. So, you know, to go out as a second murder, I guess, behind you is is about as good as I can get, I guess. Uh, and to address that, obviously, you know, to put to 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 kind of clear the record, to put to put it on record, you, the you and 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 Larsa's situation, that's what obviously a lot of people, you know, are 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 interested in. How did that like come to pass? You know, where are you guys at now? How do you guys feel about being kind of like out and open about your guys's relationship considering, uh, yeah. you know, the, the history? You know, look, I mean, we kind of met four years ago at this all-star weekend party in, uh, in LA and, you know, she was across the room. I was across the room, but we kind of eyeing each other. You know what I'm saying? But we hadn't really met each other, hadn't hung out before. Um, and after that party four years ago, we kind of struck up a friendship. We had a bunch of mutual friends here in Miami and uh, we just kind of started keeping in touch with each other, talking all the time, you know, whatever was going on in her life. I was kind of an outlet for her and same, you know, vice versa. And, you know, one day about a year and a half ago or something like that, uh, I was like, look, I'm coming to Miami because we would always miss each other. I'd be coming to Miami. She'd be in LA or I'd be going on a trip. Sounds like me and your, sounds like our relationship. <laughs> exactly right and so we kept missing each other for like three years or so and uh finally i was like look i'm coming to miami for two days are you in town and she was like yeah come and so i came to miami we all went out as a group of friends we went to dinner went out whatever and those two days snowballed into 12 days of us just being inseparable hanging out all the time going everywhere together and then that was kind of the start of it. we were like damn can this really happen and so you know, while we're hanging out as friends, those first 12 days, that's when TMZ started to speculate. And, you know, there was pictures of us on the internet and are they dating? Are they not dating? And so it kind of all happened in real time. And, you know, here we are uh, about a year, year and a half later, and, you know, we're thriving better than ever. The hotel was like, um, yes, these two have not been out of their room in <laughs> 72 hours. We're worried they might need water. 
Yeah, no. Nah, well, Larsa has a place here in Miami. And so, you know, I was like extending my room the day after day after day and yeah. never really even going back to the hotel. So it was uh, it was crazy. I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so and we talked about this already. If Larsa has any, uh, you know, single housewife friends yeah. that are into uh, very handsome, slightly obnoxious guys. Rico with a, men. Repo men with a <laughs> uh, 600 credit score and they're excellent parallel parkers. Um, there you go. Ever throw me a throw me a line. I, I got you. I got you. So then. Four years ago is the first time you met, even even though like your dad and Scotty's relationship at no point throughout then you guys never crossed paths. Yeah, no, we never really we never crossed paths. We never hung out. You know, the joke, the running joke is that, you know, she used to babysit me or would always be at the house. And like, that's just completely false. It's not, you know, accurate that's at cool. all. I, you we, you we, picked we, the hot babysitter. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, no, I just think, you know, look. It, it kind of naturally happened over time with us starting out as friends. And then I think that, you know, that's kind of why it's lasted so long. Good, man. And then once, you know, once it kind of was in the public eye, we both kind of had to answer to our families. And once we realized that our families weren't really as shocked as we thought they would be, then it was kind of like, all right, cool. You know, it, it, this is easy. What'd your dad say? Well, I think my dad was probably the most shocked out of all of us, out of everybody. You don't um, say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he wants me to be happy. Uh, he supports, you know, any, any, you know, he never really meddled into my relationship life prior to Larsa. So, you know, his thing is he's not going to start now, um, but he just wants me to be happy. I think like any other dad would for this. Son. Good. And I want you to be happy, too, which is why I cannot wait for the bachelor party. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's going to be uh, that's going to be lit. For sure. I just, I just invited myself to your bachelor. You're already so invited. Shit, you might yes. be orchestrating it. You're already Woo. orchestrating it. If you want me to jump out of the cake, Marcus, at the wedding, I can do that too. <laughs> All right. It's could happen. Um, I got you. How'd your dad feel about you going on this show? Did you tell him before? Did he give you any tips? Were you like, "All right, dad"? You know, my dad's a super private person, and so with doing the Housewives of Miami and now Traders, you know, he thinks I'm nuts. He thinks I'm absolutely crazy. Uh, you know, <laughs> your dad and my dad should get together and compare notes because trust literally. me, my dad too. Yeah, yeah, my dad's like, I don't know what you're doing, why you're doing it, but <laughs> as long as you're having fun, then, then by all means, go ahead and enjoy yourself. And I think the one thing he says is, make sure they pay you a lot of money. You know, make sure they pay you a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> dude. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Jersey Mike Subs. Jersey Mike's uses only the highest quality of meat sliced right in front of you, piled high with the freshest toppings. It's a Jersey Mike's thing. For me, it's roast beef and provolone with onions, lettuce, tomato, and the juice. You like authentic cheesesteaks? At Jersey Mike's, they're cooked on a real flat top grill. You can hear the sizzle and taste the difference. Jersey Mike's, a sub above. Order on the app today or visit jerseymikes.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. 
Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So when we had our first, so obviously we, we uh, have our first mission. They put us in wetsuits four hours before we even need to be in wetsuits. I'm like, all right, this crazy. is, this is cool. I'm just going to be sweating my ass off while we're sitting in the castle still. What I was shocked about with this production, more so than the show that I've cut my teeth in, which is the challenge, is how attentive they are to our, our like personal well-being. Okay? Yeah, for sure. They're like, guys, watch out. There's ticks in the grass. I'm like, we're wearing wetsuits up to our necks. I don't think ticks are going to go through the wetsuits. All right, when you guys step, we want to warn you, there's pebbles in the water. (laughs) We don't want you to stub a toe. Meanwhile, the challenge, they're like, all right, listen, fuckers, we're going to put you up on this (laughs) fucking crane that we haven't even tested. We're going to dangle you above the water. Uh, You see these cars up here? They're chained together. Yeah, you're going to jump from one to the next. But what we're going to do is we're going to smear these cars with Astroglide. So there's 0% <laughs> chance you're going to do this without a hospital visit. Uh, and oh, if you man. do need to go to the hospital, keep it to yourself because we don't want to pay the bill. That's exactly. basically like, so it was hilarious. No, me. I definitely, I was definitely taken back and surprised at how attentive they were to our welfare. You know, they had a whole dedicated team, uh, even, you know, when we get back to the room and, you know, they wanted us to speak to psychologists and therapists and, you know, even after we wrap filming, you know, checking in making sure that you're doing well while the show's airing, if you need anybody to talk to, you know, so they've definitely been supportive through it all, which is, uh, which was a surprise to me. Dude, literally I'm there for less than a week. All right. Yeah. And if, and, and if, and if you knew like what psychologically, what the challenge house does to you after you've been there for eight, nine, 10, 11 weeks, this was imagine. like fucking sandals resort. And they were like, <laughs> all right, we're going to have a chat tomorrow morning with the psychologist. I'm like, all right. right. She's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, fine. She's like, are you sure? <laughs> Do you want to talk about anything? I'm like, nah, I'm good. Then it was like, when I got home, they wanted to have another call. Then they wanted to do a follow-up dude. I just got to text the other uh, because of my social media out outburst, they're like, "Do you need right, to right, right, right? Are you having? Do you need to talk to vent to someone?" I'm like, "No, it's a joke. Look, I Relax." Think, I think I think you know. Obviously, with season one, having brought in people that maybe weren't familiar with yeah. reality TV or celebrities, maybe that was more so required during that season. Um, first daily mission. Obviously, like. Uh, I didn't get to employ the strategy I wanted to that Kevin thought was so funny, which was climbing to the top of the pole and shoving it up my ass. But that didn't, that didn't come to fruition, unfortunately. But the way the mission went down, I mean, you guys end up in a boat together. What were your thoughts on, did you want to get a shield? Was that because when they said that, I'm like, don't want it. Don't want it. I I wasn't trying to get a shield just because, look, I didn't think I was going to get murdered so quickly. Um, And at the same time, you know, two out of three shields were in the water. And I, in that mission, I was doing everything I could to not have to get into the water just because <laughs> I felt like, <laughs> I felt like, you know, if I can survive this mission without getting wet, let me try to do that. And so it was funny because once, you know, I never saw the, the, the shield behind me, but once Janelle kind of took off for the shield, I turned and by that time I had got out of my restraints. And so I'm like debating in my mind, like, should I race her for this thing? Should I help the person next to me? Uh, and she kind of had a little bit of a head start on me. So if you're watching the episode, I, I yell out at her. I'm like, good for you, Janelle, because I'm like pissed off. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know, and then, you know, CT, Max, uh, Deontay and myself, we get into the boat and we just the start alpha, rowing. The, al- the alpha boat, as it was. The alpha the, boat, yeah. The meathead exactly. boat, yep. Exactly. And so we just start rowing that thing, man. And honestly, we went to the furthest, um, whatever, pontoon that was out there in the water. And at that point, we were like, fuck it. Let's just grab as many of these as we can. And so I think we ended up grabbing four of them. Uh, D- you know, CT jumped out, grabbed the shield. Deontay jumped out, grabbed the shield. And our thing was, if you're in this boat, if you jump out for a shield, we're not stopping this boat. This boat is not stopping for anything. And so, you know, it was up to them to go swim to get the shield, swim back to us. And so I think at one point we had like four or five of the pontoons hooked up to our boat. And then we see, I think it was MJ and Trishel. And they're kind of lost at sea, the current kind of taking them out. And they've got one one pontoon piece, and they're yelling at us like, one of you guys jump into our boat and uh, kind of help us row in. And we're like, man, fuck that. Grab one of, <laughs> one of these pieces, you know, and just hold on to the piece. We're going to row we'll you guys in. We'll just row in. you in. Yeah, yep. exactly. And then you swim out. You know, honestly, if you didn't swim out to us with the rope, um, I don't know if we would have got back in time. You know? No chance, bro. We finished. I don't think so. This is what I was saying. I, okay, here's the way that I went into it. All right. And again, hindsight's 2020. Maybe I should have ran for the freaking, maybe I should have ran for the shield to protect myself. But here's the thing. And, and obviously we'll get into this more. I didn't realize my fate was already sealed, not based on the fact that I was going to end someone's game or strategically. My game was already over because somebody felt so threatened by me towards their camera time and their ability to like come out of retirement and like, you know, show the world that whatever the fuck, they're still reality television Kings or whatever that literally in my mind, I was like, if I'm a team player, if I don't go for a shield and if I help the group win and that's obvious, they're going to have to keep me around just based on the fact that it's like, we need this guy around. That was my strategy too. And that's what blows my mind so much about the strategy or lack thereof that the traders or Dan in particular had in getting rid of me because it's like, bro, nothing that you're going to say. Yes. Might there have been one reason like, oh, he might eventually somewhere down the road, figure me out. Yeah, that's a possibility. But the pros of having me there far outweighed the cons. I mean, I was the shiniest object in the fucking house, dude. And and I may, I, Half the house already thought I was a traitor. So I'm like, bro, That's true. by keeping me around, you're literally, it's its a diversion away from you. How do you not see this? Absolutely. And I, I felt like I had the same idea in terms of let me contribute to the missions just because, you know, at some point you're going to need people that can help you win the money. Otherwise, what are we all here for? You know? And so uh, I just felt like, you know, I just felt like Dan overall, he's just playing it safe. He wanted to get out people that, like you said, might take his TV time. He wanted to get the guys out that might suspect that he is a traitor or whatever. I felt like he was trying to attack any of the guys that could contribute anything to to the missions, you know? He was like, it was like he was trying to start a polygamous cult. The only <laughs> thing that st- was standing in his way were yeah. the men, were the real men. Exactly. Get all the guys out of here. And I should have clocked that earlier because you made that observation, obviously, and, and we're going to get into that, but I really do think that was kind of like your the last nail in your coffin. But when we were coming back from that mission, it was me, uh, I believe Ekin Sue, Peter, and then Dan was in the front seat. And you know, production's like, hey guys, talk about the mission. Like they're in the car and they're like telling you kind of like talk about the mission. Who do you think the traitor is? What do you think's gonna happen? And the three of us were in the backseat and we were all having 
a conversation. We're talking about, you know, Janelle sprinting for the shield, whatever. And we literally asked Dan, we're like, Dan, what are your thoughts? And he's like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, literally. All right, dude. Like, that's all you're going to contribute. Like, I'm almost thinking like, that's not fair. We're back here spilling our guts, potentially like, who knows? The trader could be in the Jeep, which he was. And we could be out here like literally ending our own or jeopardizing our own games to provide storyline while you're sitting in the front seat, not saying shit, dude. I'm like, this is not cool. Yeah. But I think that was part of his strategy. Once he got picked to be a trader, that was his strategy just to not say shit, figure out who's on to him and get him out. You know, but, but here's the problem. And this is what, this is what I wish the other traders, uh, Phaedra first, and then Parvi would have caught on to. And he said this right out of the gate when they had their first, um, traders meeting in the turret, him and Phaedra. Yeah. He's like, it's in a confessional, but he basically says something to the effect of, yeah, you know, Phaedra is is a housewife and she's really good at like detecting bullshit, but I've found that I can kind of get what I want and I can push my agenda onto her, which is exactly yeah. what he does because body language, obviously, and especially in a game like this is very telling. And when they were going through their discussion of who to murder, it's almost like, you know, if you go to like a, uh, like a garage sale or if you're trying to negotiate and you like, there's something you really want, but you can't let them know how much you want that. So instead, what you do is you pick a bunch of other random shit that's not important. And yeah. then you're like, eh, and yeah. I'll just take this too. That's what he did with me. It was like he threw out a Kevin. He threw out a John. And he's like, what's your read on Johnny Bananas? And as soon as she said he's strong, he helps the team. He's He almost like anxiously starts like rocking back and forth because you could tell that is what he wanted but she was almost making a case for why it shouldn't be me. Yeah, I definitely feel like, you know, Phaedra and then even Parvati, when she got into the trader's turret, like I wish they voiced their more their opinions more, you know, but Dan wasn't going to let that happen. He had a game plan in mind. Once he was selected to be a trader, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And that was get any threat or any strong player out of the game as soon as possible. And that's what he did. Or anyone he felt intimidated by, which brings me to the first audio clip I'd like to play from uh, the postmortem. Johnny Bananas, for once in his life, wasn't selfish. He didn't go after a shield, and that gave us the opportunity. I didn't think there was going to be any other opportunities where he wasn't going to be first to get a shield because he's so athletic and competitive. So when we had the shot to take him out early, we had to do it. Johnny is obviously a very athletic, he's well, you know, he's funny. He's just a huge character. And Dan definitely, I, I think he felt very intimidated by anybody with a very strong character. What is that doing? Looking at the heartbeat in your neck. <laughs> it's at least 120 BPMs, dude. Ba -boom, ba -boom. He wasn't murdered because he was annoying. He was murdered because he could win this whole game. As much as I want to look at being murdered by the traitors first as an insult, I almost take it as um, as a badge of honor. The traitors didn't murder me because I was somebody that was terrible at the game. Uh, the traitors didn't murder me because they weren't threatened by me. I think if anything, this just proves that I was the biggest threat in the house. Um. I mean, if that's not a truth bomb, I don't know what is. Yeah. No, and Phaedra's saying what she said. It's like, Phaedra, you just said out loud what everybody else was thinking, and thank you for doing that. I think he definitely was intimidated by you. Like you, like you said, man, uh, you know, you had and have what it takes to win that thing, you know? And I feel like 
I had what it takes to kind of piece the puzzle together and yes. try to sniff out any inconsistencies or, you know, any weird behavior. And that was one of the reasons that he got us out, you know, as early as he did. I just wish, you know, like I said, the, the girls stuck up for us or, or, or offered somebody else. Um, yeah. But I think he once he was selected to be a trader, he was dead set on what his strategy was. And that was getting anybody out. That was that was a strong threat. OK, but a, and here's my point. This is the point I want to make. OK, and I just want to for the record, I'm not upset that I was murdered. OK, I get it. It's a game. Yeah. What I'm upset about is the reason that I was murdered has nothing to do or has l- less to do with the threat I posed to Dan's game from a strategic standpoint as as much as it was me posing a threat to the amount of storyline, camera time, airtime, yeah, energy true. that he was going to get. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, because I mean, look, we only had one mission, you know, and you contributed a lot to that mission. So it's not like there was a lot to go on based on like him not getting his way in, in a certain mission or, you know, you pointing the finger at him. It was strictly off of uh, somebody that was a threat to his airtime or his uh, his welcome back out of retirement party or whatever he was looking, however he was looking at it. <laughs> I was an existential threat to Dan's ego, not his game. That's true. I mean, I, I second that. Okay. And here's why, and I, trust me, dude, on the challenge over the years, one of the hardest things to do sometimes, and it's taken me years to kind of like, you know, be able to execute this properly is when you don't like somebody. All right. When, when there's something about somebody that you just can't stand or you don't like or bothers you, it's like you want them gone, but having them gone doesn't necessarily always benefit your game. So sometimes what you have to do is keep people around that you can't stand only because yeah. there's other people that should be gone first. There's other things that you should do in order first. And sometimes these persons just weed themselves out anyways. And it's an emotional. Well, they were. <laughs> There were definitely people more worthy of being murdered uh, ahead of us. I would, I would, you know, throw Bergy out there in terms of just Kevin, being, John, you know. But again, Jay, exactly, John, Kevin. I just, but I feel like you know, again, that was their strategy: go into the game, you know, play a little stupid, try to be undetected, uh, and see how far they could last. I, I had a completely different approach. I wanted to go in there. If I was a trader, I was going to murder as many people as I could. But if once I realized I was a faithful, my goal was to work with everybody to try to figure out who the fucking traders are. And I feel like, you know, it just worked to my detriment because here I am talking to Dan and lo and behold, he's a tra- he's a trader. And I kind of put him on the spot for saying like, hey, look, you know, anybody that wasn't speaking up at the roundtable was probably happy with the way that this is going. And Dan, I know you didn't speak up, but I don't want to single you out, at least what I said. And lo and behold. You know, I wake up murdered the next day. Uh, we're actually going to play that clip next. Hold on. We're going to, Sasha, can we, we cue that one up? Because I, I was going to talk about it later, but since you already mentioned it, yes. And this is what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> I feel like the, if you guys want to see the moment or one of the moments that um, Marcus signed his death warrant, it was by just being <laughs> too aware of what, of what was happening. I do feel like there were people that, and I don't want to single you out because yeah. you weren't the only person, but they didn't say a word at the round table. People think I'm not talking, but that's just who I am. Yeah. You know, and it's sometimes hard to get a word in. But all I can do is offer my opinion. Yeah. But I do feel like anybody that didn't speak up 
was very happy with the way that the conversation was going because they knew it wasn't directed towards a trader. I don't think any of us have enough information to truly know who a trader is, but time will tell. Bro, I can only imagine in that moment, Dan just being there, like just sinking into his seat because everything you said was so spot on because when I watched that back, it really was. It was like the traders didn't say a word. They had absolutely nothing to add to it. And the dots that you connected, which were so true, is it's like, of course, they're not going to say anything because they wanted they wanted it. They didn't want to distract from the the direction it was going. From where all. I was headed, exactly. And you know, and there's another thing that happened that didn't make the cut, I guess. But Dan was on my team for the second mission, where we had to run through the field, answer the questions, and do the scarecrows, exactly. And so, you know, in that mission, I'm voted as most influential. Uh, and then there was also a second question that did, that kind of got merged into one. But uh, the second question was most trustworthy, and so. Being voted most trustworthy, most influential, obviously puts a, a ta- an additional target on my back from the traders' perspective because I think they felt like I would be able to rally the troops. Dan even says in my postmortem that I wouldn't have been swayed, you know, off of any opinions that I might have had on who was a traitor. And so during that mission, you know, we're running, and obviously it's all you know a little bit of TV magic. Once we run past the cameras, the cameras have to. We got to pause for a second, and the cameras have to run up and then you know get us running again. And so. You know, there were a couple of times where the cameras weren't rolling during the mission. And so in one of those times, I said to our team, I said, look, if anybody gets a shield in this mission, you're not obligated to display it. So if you get a shield, don't wear it. Don't say you got one. That way, if the traders try to murder you, you know, they'll miss a murder and you'll survive. And it'll tip, uh, uh, you know, it'll give off insight as to their gameplay and their strategy, who they're trying to kill. And so Dan is on my team. He hears me say this. We run to the field where the scarecrows are. Obviously, I didn't. First of all, I was so exhausted by, by the time I ran up that hill. I didn't see the sign that said, you know, if the scarecrows are wearing a hat, chances are they've got a shield. So I ran completely past that thing and uh, was just open because you were trying to, or whatever. Is it because you were trying to keep up with John? Because man, that guy was like he was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> Yo, and seeing all of that, that was hilarious because I, I didn't see John fall until after I watched it now. Guy runs so like it, a penguin. Yo, and, and it's funny. He's asthmatic in episode one, and then somehow in episode two, he doesn't need an inhaler. He's running, he's sprinting like Forrest Gump. Um, and so uh, I guess we get to the field of scarecrows, and Dan gets a shield ultimately. And so in that billiards room, in addition to what I said to, to Dan in the soundbite, there was a time where it was just us there. And I said, Dan, you know, we had a conversation, you know, earlier in the mission where if you got a shield, don't wear the shield, just kind of keep it under wraps. But any, he kind of, as soon as he got it, he put it around his neck. Yep. And so and, I and asked like, him about that. Displayed it like proudly. Like, Literally, hey, everybody, just look at what out, I got. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I got a shield. And so, and I thought that, you know, from the first mission that anybody that gets a shield doesn't mean you're necessarily a faithful. You know, some of the traders might get shields just to kind of take available shields away from the faithfuls you know what and I'm saying? to make it look like they are a faithful because it's like why would a trader go for a shield yeah exactly exactly and so in that billiards room i'm asking dan you know did you not hear what i said earlier you know i thought we were all on the same page around not you know displaying the shield and he tried to downplay it and basically say oh no i never heard that conversation uh you know maybe i wasn't there for that or you know because it, it did kind of happen off camera or when the cameras were setting up and so you know it's just another thing that i said to him that i think sealed my fate in the end. 
then they bring in uh, Parvati as the third trader. Right. And it's not the three of them making decisions. It's basically, here's Dan's agenda and we need to follow it. I think Phaedra put a lot of trust in Dan because she's like, he's a gamer. He's done this forever, right? So she's like, yeah. I'm going to let him handle it, at least for now. And I think the reason Parvati did is because she felt like she owed him something because it was because of him that she was brought in. So it's almost like, all right, I have to fulfill your agenda because I owe this to I owe you something. But and what the they crazy didn't realize, part about it, yeah. The crazy part about it is that Dan's only looking out for himself. Exactly. Dan recruited Parvati to be a trader only because she was accused of being a trader at the first round table. So it gave them extra protection because exactly. if, you know, the, let's say the next round table, we vote out Parvati, then, you know, the faithfuls are feeling good because they sniffed out a trader. But then, you know, ultimately Dan was just trying to throw her to the wolves. Uh, and so I'm kind of surprised that, you know, it kind of took a turn and, uh, you know, Peppermint got banished out and then, uh, and then Max, honestly. Yeah. The Peppermint thing was here, here's what, here's what it is. And Pepper, both Peppermint and Max, that is 100% an example of just pack mentality. Yep. Herd mentality for sure. Herd mentality because, and I see it on the challenge all the time, as long as it's not your name getting thrown out there. You don't give a, if it, you could be your own mother and you're like, yeah, she's it. That's her. Get yeah. rid of her. Well, in hindsight's 2020, you know, when you're in the moment, yes. you know, anything sounds good. Every reason sounds good. And then once you kind of tally up the votes, if the majority is already established somewhere, oh, you go that like way. you said, you go that way. you're not trying to stick out like a sore thumb. And so that's why, honestly, I give, I give Larsa a little credit because I think she did vote. Uh, I can't remember who she voted for, but she voted outside of the group in the second in the second banishment. And so, you know, no, we'll see she voted for Dan and so did yeah, MJ. She voted for and Dan. that's yeah, what I'm exactly. saying is like, damn dude, were those two like, so right after you got murdered, obviously Lars is pissed and they were all sitting down. And it's when she was like looking at it when, when, when Dan was sitting there, it was like all the girls and she goes, it's gotta be a guy. So just the fact that she was able to like deduce from like me going, you going that it's like, this is, this is 100% like, yeah. A this is 100% a beta male tactic. All right. Yeah, literally. Let's get literally. rid of all and this. You would think, like, and you would think, Dan, obviously having picked on you first as a threat, somebody that's well known in these competitions as a winner, you know, CT's still available to murder. You know, I don't you know, what I don't know why he murders that? me. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, hold on a second. I couldn't believe it. After I went, after I was murdered, I'm like, all right, CT's gone next, dude. There's right? no way he makes it past the second murder. I, I had no thought. Like, I didn't. It caught me so out of left field. Like, I didn't think that I would get murdered so soon with people like CT still in the game, Deontay in the game, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just because, you know, obviously, you know, I'm a strong competitor, too, but it's a little more under the radar. You know, people didn't really know. But I guess, you know. It is well, what it no, is. I, because you know what? This just further proves the point that I made before is he was not, it wasn't about competition, dude. It wasn't about competition. It was about the spotlight. CT and Deontay were like, dude, hiding in the cut, man. They were kind of yeah, just like were. chilling back. And it's like, yeah, they're, dude, CT is arguably a way more dangerous competitor than me. So the fact that like I got targeted first just goes to show that it, had, it really had less to do with the again the threat to his game and more the threat to his you know storyline um and he keeps using this this is the other thing that he continues to say and he says it to the other traders he says um and this is in regards to you that you are going to find them out 
right? He keeps referring to it as them. It's our decision. We're right. we're gonna murder this person. They're gonna he's gonna find them out. It's like no, bro, you. It's your decision, and you're worried because he's gonna find you out. Literally, literally, a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right on that. Not the other two. Nobody was on to the other two. Parvati's name, other than in the beginning when Larsa said it at the first roundtable, never brought up. Phaedra, dude, nobody on earth had an idea it was her. Meanwhile, this dude's getting tossed around episode two by yeah, literally. you, by Trishel. And then when and then at the next roundtable, MJ, Larsa, like mm-hmm. for somebody that's played that that's such this mastermind strategic goat of big brother reality TV. Dude, and at the second murder, you're already getting clocked like that. Yeah. No, I think everybody was on. He, you know, he kind of tipped his hand. He kind of tipped his hand a little bit. Then in the next in in, in the the next banishment, which was Max's banishment, which obviously is where Dan gets called out. His excuse is I'm just a quiet person and I just that's who I am and I just keep to myself. Like that's that's all that's all you got. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the one thing about Dan was that he wasn't offering any insights as to who he thought might have been a traitor. And so that was the big red flag for me was that like everybody else is, you know, in maybe smaller groups or even in the larger group, you know, suspecting people of something. And Dan was the only person that never had any guesses about who might be a traitor. And that was just like, it's a red flag for me. I know a lot of people who are introverts, okay? And introverts, a lot of times in big groups, they're not comfortable in big groups. But in small groups, it's amazing. It's like they come out of their shell and they're a different person. Exactly. It's like, you're quiet all the time. It could just be you and one other person in the room and and you're quiet. I got to say, the one who I didn't, who actually shocked me and who I was like really surprised by their strategy, kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, that's kind of brilliant, was Peter and Kevin. When they're at the table before they go into the banishment and Peter's like, yo, dude, we have to fake beef. Like you vote for me. I vote for you. That way it's going to make the traders look like, oh, shit, they're not after us. They're after each other. Like I was like, yeah, damn, that's Peter, actually a okay. great strategy. I, I didn't think about that, but uh, okay, that's a great Steve strategy. Steve? I think anybody, you know, as long as you weren't on to the trader scent, you'll go you'll go far in this game or at least didn't make it seem like you were on to theirs or at least Dan sent because, you know. Parvati, when she got recruited, could have easily tried to steer the narrative to eliminating Larsa, but she didn't. You know, she's kind of just going along with Dan's plan. And, you know, I'm excited to see how it all falls out. Well, and like I said, because if you do that, it's it's a telltale sign that, okay, Larsa calls out Parvati, Larsa's murdered. You call out Dan, you're murdered. It's like. And that's why I'm a little disappointed in Max, too, because Max was right there with me. And, you know, I didn't really, you know, I didn't say, Dan, you were quiet. You, You didn't say shit. At the round table, I kind of said it to him, but also gave myself an out like, you know, you weren't the only one. You know, I noticed you were, but you weren't the only one. And I was hoping that Max would be able to pick up on the fact that the next day I'm murdered. Uh, but I just I guess there's, you know, there's so much shit happening in the castle. I, I don't think he was able to put two and two together. But that's the other thing is it's almost like, yes, as the traitor, it's like you have the power to murder people. Yeah. But that is going to come back to bite you in the ass. It's almost better, again, sometimes to just let things be. And who knows, man, maybe you would have been banished by the rest of the house. Had he been better? Here's what Dan's not doing. Dan is not planting any seeds to have other people banished at all. He's just doing all the murdering himself, right? Yeah. He's not doing anything to forward his 
plan or his agenda by using anyone else. The reason being, nobody else is going to do that. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is a great yeah. idea. Let's banish the strong people. That way we start losing challenges. But I mean, I think, you know, it's worth noting that, you know, I'm mur- the people that were in that room when I had the conversation with me, Dan and Max, basically. And I get murdered and then the next person banished is Max. And so it's just it's just it's just weird that like everything's falling into place for Dan's plan. Uh, and so I'm hopeful that, you know, the faithful will be able to sniff it all out. He's playing, dude, he's I think he's playing way too fast, way too soon. And I think his plan is strategically flawed and the speed and the level to which it's deter- his game has deteriorated is is proof of that. The fact, like I said, that in episode two and three, you are already like being snuffed out by a lot of people sp- speaks volumes. Uh, I mean, the the uh, the grave digging challenge. I was amazed at Bergie for stepping up the way that he did, dude. Like that was yeah. brilliant. That was a surprise to me too, just because you know while I was there, I was kind of like you know. Bergie kind of kept to himself. He was super quiet. I almost felt like he was a weak link, you know, yeah. in terms of being on the team. Fish out of water. Uh, but in, yeah, exactly. But in that mission, you know, he definitely stepped up. He, he proved his worth in terms of uh, why he should be, you know, kept around at least for c- certain challenges. And uh, unfortunately, I was in the grave. I was dead. So I, it didn't really impact me one way or the other. But, you know, it was good to see him kind of step up and do his thing. My new, more favorite, freckly, redheaded person named Bergie. There's the other one. <laughs> yes, sir. RIP old Bergie. <laughs> All right. And then obviously we get, um, you know, after the max banishment, which again, and I feel bad for, for, for Deontay. I really did after that because he really took that one hard on himself. Yeah. Because he is kind of the one that, that, that called out max. He's, uh, he spearheaded that one for sure. He spearheaded that. Here's my thing, though, when it comes to Max. I mean, I just think that there are certain people. I mean, Max is, you know, Ukrainian descent, you know, it's first generation United States. So it's like sometimes because people don't don't have the ability to express their thoughts as clearly as they want to. That's also something you got to factor in, because in all honesty, even when I was there, never once did I suspect him of being. I I thought it was kind of crazy. I think that's the running theme at the banishments at the roundtables right now is that I think people are just banishing people based on, you know, majority rule or who they think might be the majority person getting the vote and not necessarily who is a traitor. Because while, you know, I definitely thought at the time Peppermint could have been a traitor, I never suspected Max of being a traitor, you know? And so I didn't, granted, I didn't vote in that, but I just feel like the people at the roundtable are not necessarily focusing on who might be a traitor as opposed to, you know, who's going to get the most votes. And so we'll see if that, if that turns around. Uh, well, again, and, th- and that's why I was like literally sitting there. I was so, it was like geek. Like I wanted to jump through the screen and be like, guys, listen to Larsa and MJ. They're the only ones that are speaking any sort of facts here, dude. Right, and then again, right. you listen to Dan's explanation Oh, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't go on vibes. I go on action. What the fuck does that even mean? (laughs) Yeah, literally. It's all about vibes. The thing is, if somebody is actually making, doing something, making an action to expose themselves, 
they're horrible at this game. It's all about vibes and it's all about what your the nonverbal cues and it's all about the body language and it's all about the inconsistencies, dude. Like that's what this game is, dude. Is I, and about. I wish I had a couple more roundtables just to kind of throw my thoughts out there because you never know. I wish you I had need. one. <laughs> yeah, true, true. And you never know. You only need like a couple of seeds planted to to be able to get the traders out. And that's uh, that was what my goal was to be. Is least if I wasn't gonna make it to the end, I wanted to at least get as many traders out, even by proxy, uh, that I could. The po- the poison chalice, which is obviously the way episode three ends. Let's yeah. just go over the hit list here, okay? And let's just say, and, and let's just break down who this benefits the most. So you got MJ, who they wanted to murder. You've got Sheree, who they wanted to murder. And then the third one was Janelle. So, and that's the thing is you see this poison chalice mission. It's like, all right, by the way, horrible execution, horrible execution. You know what yeah. you do? You know what you, and this is what I was thinking in the moment. I'm like, dude, if someone has a drink, you fucking knock, you accidentally knock their drink over. Oh shit, let me get you a new one. Here's this cup. Pour something in it. Fucking leave. Yeah. Literally. You don't just sit there. How often have you been at a party and you have a drink and you just randomly start drinking out of some fucking rusty mug next to you? That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Never. Never happened. Although they did limit our drinks there. And so. You know, any chance that I got, if there was an extra, you know, glass of wine laying around, I definitely picked up a couple of extra glasses. You're like, I don't care. There's (laughs) cigarette butts floating in this one. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah, I just think it's in in the castle, anything goes, you know, but I do agree. I think terrible execution. I feel like, you know, you should have been a little more, you know, overt with trying to get this thing done. Because then someone dies because they're poisoned and then it's going to be like, who was the one that was walking around all night just trying to get a bunch of random people to drink out of a cup? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Black Widow time, I guess. I guess we're going to have to wait till next episode to see who is murdered. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be totally random, but I guess we'll just have to wait to see. Um, listen, man, gone too soon, bro. You too, man. You too. Gone uh, too soon. The magic that we could have made if we had, we stayed a little longer, you know, you know, I, you know, I hope that at some point we get a chance to, to do this Redemption. shit again, you know, maybe all stars or some sort of reunion of some sort. Actually, I'm looking forward to our reunion. That, I was going to say, Oh, we're going to get a chance to run it back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I don't want to get, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm definitely, I'm coming out the gates for a couple of people. Me too, man. Molotov. Co- I'm going to just be throwing Molotov cocktails. Kamikaze over. style. Exactly. They'll be like, bananas, this is, we're talking about episode four. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I love that, bro. Oh, I love dude. That. All right. Well, listen, man, uh, for anyone out there that wants to uh, keep up with you, follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, you can follow me on IG uh, at air, H-E-I-R-M-J-523. Also follow my trophy room page for my business. That's at trophy room store. We sell Jays, Nikes, all that stuff. You know, bananas. I got a box coming for you soon. My brother. And I got some Dolce and Bananas swag coming yeah, for you. Yeah, I need that, man. As well. I need some banana swag, dog. You know I represent. Your size, what? Extra medium, right? Yeah, extra medium. No, extra <laughs> large, bro. Extra <laughs> I got large. you, man. All right. Yo, Marcus, <laughs> I appreciate you stopping by the Death Taxes and Bananas podcast, where the tea flows like wine, and my guests instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano. I'm Oprah, and I love you. Love you too, bro.
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.